0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the PADS Athlete Development Summit podcast series. Do you remember a time when nobody knew what an NFT was? And does part of you kind of wish you could go back to that time? Unfortunately, we both know that's not going to happen. That's why we've brought in Ross Andrews to talk to us about what the hell is an NFT and why does it matter? Ross is the co-founder and CEO of Remersive Studios. Previously, he founded Proximate.io, a company which was acquired by SaaSWorks. Ross is also intimately familiar with the challenges of the sports world having been a Division I coach. So if you're done scratching your head, trying to figure out what an NFT is, you've come to the right spot. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hello friends. The PADS Athlete Development Summit podcast series is extraordinarily fortunate to have Aura Health as a sponsor this year. Founded in 2013, Aura Health is the company behind the health tech wearable, the Aura Ring which provides actionable insights on sleep and its impact on your overall health. It's used by top performers across a variety of industries, including the NBA, the WNBA, NASCAR, UFC, and more. And in fact, I've got one on my finger, which I had before Aura even thought about sponsoring pads. I can tell you one thing for sure, it's definitely helped me align my sleep, which was an absolute car wreck. The Aura Ring delivers personalized readiness and activity and sleep insights automatically to the Aura app, providing wearers with practical steps for long-term improvement. I can attest to that. The Aura Ring is not a medical device and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, monitor, or prevent medical conditions or illnesses. For more information, I'd urge you to check out OuraRing.com. And on behalf of PADS, we thank you for your sponsorship of the PADS Athlete Development Summit podcast series. Hi, everybody. Duncan Fletcher here, another athlete development podcast coming at you. Stephanie, how are you doing today?
1: I am doing well. I'm really excited to learn about NFTs.
0: Well, clearly you're a tech whiz as you scramble for your mute button there. <laughs> we caught you on that one, but all good. <laughs> we're did. really we're really fortunate to have with us uh, Ross Andrews. Uh, Ross is with Remersive Studios. Ross, how are you doing today?
2: Doing good. Excited to uh... Be here and join you know the conversation around nfts and kind of the the future that they're going to play in the sports world
0: phenomenal well before we get into nfts and answering everyone's questions as to what those are maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background how you came into sports how do you care about sports and and you know where where your path through athletics got you to where you are today
2: yeah um i mean my sports story starts all the way back as a kid. Like I played sports growing up, soccer, lacrosse, uh, hockey, ran some track. I mean, you name it. I pretty much did it Played baseball at one point though. That career didn't last very long. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, it was part of just my childhood growing up. And then I actually ended up joining as a kind of a student manager, the um, to work with the Quinnipiac university men's and women's ice hockey program during my time as an undergrad there. And, just really enjoyed it so much and got so integrated into the team that I actually ended up um, joining the staff after graduating right out of school and worked with them for three years. Um, So really got to see kind of how sports operates at the the NCAA division one level, which, you know, obviously is about as high as you can get without getting into the pro ranks. And so that was really great insight just into that world and how everything works and operates and just have always been, around it after that. Um, you'll find me every Sunday on my couch watching NFL Sunday Ticket. It's just it's something I enjoy. So um, I'm excited now to be working on a startup that's kind of sitting in that world. And but uh, th- that's my sports story.
0: Phenomenal. And I think what's kind of cool is that your sport experience sort of intersected with mine to a certain extent in that You were a coach uh, manager at Quinnipiac University. Uh, I actually coached at uh, Quinnipiac for five years. So you and I have kind of intersected with some key people that we both know. So you both, we both worked for uh, the the head coach there, Rand Pecknell. And we can tell Mm -hmm. all kinds of Sparky stories. Sparky, don't get nervous, buddy. But absolutely. So, I mean, how did you enjoy your time at Quinnipiac in general as a coach?
2: Yeah, it was great. I mean, it's obviously a fantastic school and and they've really done an amazing job building up the program there. Um, And also to just, it's one of those things that's funny. I always tell people that the other coaches on the staff, the players, you know, those are friends for life now, right? They're people that you can pick up the phone and call them anytime. And it's just going through that together. And I think a lot of people in the sports world will probably, you know, have some they'll agree with this statement, right? It's like you kind of go through the trenches with those people and it kind of builds a bond for life. Um, and so that's some, it's something I'll never trade those three years while working there.
0: I think it's also important to point out that during that run, uh, or your run at uh, Quinnipiac, I believe you guys went to the frozen four finals twice. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, uh,
2: 2013, 2016.
0: Gotcha. So you went all the way to the the final dance. Uh, Unfortunately, came up on the short end of the stick. I know that uh, uh, we were obviously (laughs) pulling for you. But uh, like you said, those experiences uh, teach you a lot uh, Mm -hmm. and have probably really shaped your perception of how sports works in general.
2: Yeah, and what was amazing about my time at Quinnipiac is I was kind of in a kind of multi-operational role where I was working with the coaches. I was also supporting kind of the logistical day-to-day of the team, travel, um, you know, making sure all that was all set, but also, too, I worked within the kind of marketing and ticketing side to make sure that they had the collateral they needed to get fans excited about coming to the game. And so I kind of got to see it all top to bottom, how these organizations work and operate. And um, it definitely, you know, it it gave me the, the foundation for where I am today and to be able to kind of work on Remersive and understand like, okay, here's how all these things kind of come together, right? Because it is a complex environment with multiple moving parts. So
0: yeah, I mean, like I said, and and you were there probably when it was at a, uh, at its craziest in terms of sort of managing uh, two yeah. two big runs uh, to the Frozen Four. Uh, so I mean, that must have been that must have been fantastic. And and like I said, Rand, we're not going to tell any stories about you, but man, we we know a lot. We know where the skeletons are. But anyway, <laughs> uh, enough of the Quinnipiac talk. Uh, I think what I will just start with the, like the most basic question, which really is, all right, Ross, what the hell? is an NFT. Break it down for us.
2: Yeah. So an NFT, you know, and first off, we'll just start with the basics, right? NFT stands for non-fungible token. And um, non-fungible really just means that it's not, it, it. it's one of one, right? It can't be swapped out for something else. So it's meant to identify something that is unique. And uh, a, a kind of to kind of paint a picture, a fungible token is something that can be swapped out that has similar value. So take a dollar bill, right? A dollar bill. I could give you a dollar bill, Duncan. You could give me back a dollar bill. You have, it's the same thing, right? There's no difference between them. Whereas a non-fungible token would be two items that are of different value, right? Or unique. So the token part is where it kind of comes into some of the blockchain discussion. Um, what it really is is just essentially the token is a unique identifier that gets logged into a blockchain so a non-fungible token is a unique id that is logged on a blockchain which is just a distributed ledger and then that unique id is attributed to some sort of asset right a digital good a physical good um and so that's kind of like the basics of an nft
0: so and we don't want to get too far into the weeds here because we're not talking to a technical audience but again, maybe I could just ask you to elucidate a little bit further on why it's important that the NFT is based on the blockchain. And that way, people hopefully can kind of get a little bit deeper understanding of why that's important and how that plays out over the long term as it relates to an NFT.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, blockchains are really just without getting too technical a distributed ledger right so it's a ledger of transactions of ownership that is kept in a distributed network of systems versus a single central system so no one individual or party controls the ledger meaning no one can you know act in bad faith um and so nfts kind of when when you look at these distributed systems are a way of ensuring that a network of individuals or a network of companies or whatever, right, can agree on who owns a spe- specific asset, right? And again, the NFT is unique in that it can be attributed to both a physical asset or a digital one, right? And that's kind of where there's some interesting, unique things. We'll get into this later in terms of what that means for the future. But it's always been hard up until now to kind of ascertain digital ownership of things, right? Um, the internet is this big, crazy, wild place, but it allows you to kind of directly reference that specific digital asset in conjunction with that unique identifying tag to say this individual or this entity is the owner of that asset and it is logged on to the blockchain for everyone else in the network to see publicly. Right. So it provides transparency.
0: Gotcha. I think we said we'll definitely dive into the implications of that in terms of, you know, having that that ledger and having that play out over the long term. I think in order to kind of set the table again a little bit more broadly, that I mean, we've kind of, okay, we, we now know what an NFT is. Uh, we now know that it's on the blockchain and why. And I think most people sort of became aware of the concept of NFTs because of what was done with uh, Dapper Labs, which is a company out of Vancouver, BC, and their NBA Top Shot program. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I could get you to talk a little bit about what that is and what Dapper Labs is doing and how that kind of surfaced. At least into the you know the popular culture, what an NFT yep. is, and arguably kind of created a, a bit of a bubble right out of the gate around, around NFTs.
2: Yeah, so I mean, you know, NBA Top Shot and Dapper Labs really kind of shined a light on this, if you will, I guess, in the mainstream, which is a good thing. In um, really, what Dapper Labs did was they worked in conjunction with the NBA to help take. Moments, right, or highlights, and turn them into collectibles, right? Something where a fan could actually own that moment or highlight, you know, of your favorite player, your favorite team, whatever it is. And they built a marketplace where. Any one of us or anyone listening to this podcast could log in and make a bid for a specific moment, right? Something that you, you know, again, it's if you're a fan, it's a moment that meant a lot to you or it was a historic moment for your favorite team and you want to be able to buy that, right? It's similar to buying a movie poster for your favorite movie or something like that. Um, and so what was interesting is, again, it, when you, you look at the the NFT implications and the blockchain implications, it became, it, it, it creates what without getting overly technical, it creates a order book, right? So that the market can set the rate or the value of a specific moment, right? So based on how big a moment it is, who the star was that, you know, that um, actually executed that moment on the court, people would make a bid based on how much they would be willing to pay for that specific moment. And then that sets the market, right? So again, it allows the community to really kind of drive where these moments um go and so that's really kind of was the genesis of this you know whole nft explosion earlier this year um you know with the work that dapper and and the nba did so
1: so you're theoretically paying for something that you can never touch feel or or see
2: yeah, I mean, that's kind of the big, um, you know, I think the big gotcha for a lot of people at the moment with NFTs is like, okay, wait, I just bought a video highlight. Like, you know, what does that mean? And, and I'll get into that a little more in some of the kind of the future stuff. But I think that also it also paints an interesting kind of question around like, you know, I think there's or, not a question, but there's still a long way to go with kind of exactly how NFTs are going to be implemented. And I think, you know, like any new technology, right, we're going to go through some iterations as to exactly how this can function. And then also too, what's valuable to a consumer, right? Mm -hmm. Is owning a highlight valuable to the masses or was that a kind of a specific use case that needs to kind of evolve and expand further, which is yet to be determined. (laughs)
1: So for someone such as myself, or perhaps some of the other athlete development specialists that are, that are listening, we're novice to this. How, how mm-hmm. do you get started? How do you get involved? How do you educate yourself? Um, because you know, one of the things that we'll dive a bit more into later on is the impact in the athletic world. So where do you begin?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for a lot of people is I think there's still just not a lot of education yet around what, you know, blockchain technology is, what NFTs are. So I think the biggest thing is making sure, you know, you educate yourself on that, especially if you're a professional athlete, a collegiate athlete, um, especially with some of the NIL changes and then or a professional franchise. Um just around what exactly the technology is. And um, is that then you could start to really start to think through what are the use cases, right? Where can we deploy this kind of within our business model? Um, I think that's kind of the, the the basis for a lot of this because blockchain technology, it, it it's exciting, but I still think in general, a lot of people are not 100% certain exactly what it is. <laughs> I'm one of those people. <laughs> 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 hey, I. To be honest with you, I the last six months has been an amazing learning curve for me. I, I did I knew a little bit about it, but um, you know I also too. And the great thing is, there's so much excitement around the tech that there are a lot of resources out there to go learn about it and um, kind of explore what what the implications might be of this technology. You know, in the next decade.
0: Well, I think that's a fascinating thing too. Is understanding you know where this is going. Before we get into the future conversation, which I think is going to be a fascinating one, is I want to kind of just sort of dive into the here and now and maybe some of the drawbacks or, or pitfalls around these things is I think one of the challenges, right, is um, if you're an athlete and you're like, wow, I, I really want to create an NFT. Maybe you score, you know, the game winning goal in overtime of a you know Stanley Cup final, a game seven. Uh, and you want to capture that moment and use it as an NFT. It's not that simple because the ownership uh, or the, the licensing of the footage. Can you talk a little bit about sort of how, how that is navigated? What are some of the challenges there, both from the athlete perspective and maybe even organizationally, if you're a league, uh, in terms of managing that, you know, the, the licensing and the rights in order, to, in order to even create an NFT that a fan would care about?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, the biggest thing for a lot of this, right, is most of, not most of all these leagues, all these teams, right, have existing kind of media rights agreements with TV networks, with streaming organizations like, um, you know, Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime. Um, And so I think the biggest thing is going to be over the next, you know, handful of years is figuring out, okay, like, legally, where, what can we do with those rights? And then two, once you've issued the once you've found a way to share those rights through an n f t how does someone purchasing it share in the monetization right like how does that all function how' does that work um and, and again, I'll get into it a little later, you know, kind of what that goes into some of what the future implications are. But I think that's kind of one of the biggest gotchas right now is to figure out, OK, like how do media rights fit in with NFTs? And then how does that monetization of the media get shared with a potential NFT owner? Um, the other thing that's an interesting kind of drawback right now is there's a lot of blockchain innovation right now, which means there's a lot of new blockchain technology coming out. and you know a lot of questions around like okay is there interoperability between blockchains if not if i mint nfts which is minting is just the process of putting an asset on to that you know creating the token and putting it on the blockchain um if this blockchain goes under and and doesn't survive right like what happens to all of our you know so there are definitely going to be some kind of growing pains if you will as the technology evolves but um you know that's kind of where you know some of the, well, the the drawbacks are right now.
0: That's an interesting point. I think maybe that would be helpful. Maybe just to quickly talk about that is that not all there isn't one blockchain. There are multiple no. blockchains. So this is almost like your VHS versus Beta if you're over the age of fifty. This is your you know Microsoft versus Apple versus.
2: Linux, Linux versus, thank you.
0: Yeah. Uh, as I was just hit the database, or hit the, the 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 computer hit a wall there. Literally, I'm trying to figure out another language. But it seems like that that's what's ex- exactly what's going on is you have these different languages that are being um, uh, created uh, for the blockchain, and they're, they're like you said, they're mm-hmm. not all created equal, and that creates all kinds of different potential challenges. Maybe just quickly walk through how that plays out, and maybe even how that impacts Dapper long term and 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 things of that nature.
2: Yeah, I think the the biggest thing to re- to kind of remember with blockchains right is like a lot of people look at blockchains and in the the first word that comes to mind is cryptocurrency, but what I really think people would want to kind of set their mindset to is most of these blockchains are think of it like a company right it's a startup trying to develop some sort of new technology and each blockchain is different whether it's a bitcoin right which is obviously the kind of the most popular one that most people will have heard of there's ethereum um, and i could list hundreds of others right i mean when we talk about dapper their blockchain is called flow right In what what I think you have to kind of think through is most of these blockchains are being built with a specific use case in mind, right? It's a specific kind of technology that's being built for a specific use case. So Flow is a perfect example. Dapper built Flow and Flow is its own blockchain, right? It's independent of Ethereum. It's independent of Bitcoin, but they built it to be the blockchain for digital collectibles, right? So like it is specifically engineered for that use case. And so as other, you know, just like Ethereum is, you know, they, they want Ethereum to kind of be the financial blockchain, right, where you can build smart contracts and use it in financial applications. Um, that is each blockchain is kind of being built with a specific use case in mind. And so what I think is going to end up happening is, and again, this is just I'm riffing here, I, uh, is is that certain blockchains will emerge kind of as the category leaders for that use case, similar to how Salesforce emerged as the leading CRM, you know, provider in that market, right? And then you'll get other blockchains that emerge for other use cases. Um, And so that's kind of, I think, the key thing to think about when you're kind of looking at the technology from, you know, a big macro level.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful because I know I didn't know that. Uh, until you and I had that conversation and I think maybe most other people don't know that. Steph, I don't know if you knew that. No. There you go. So here we are. We're, We're shining a light right here, Ross.
2: Yeah, I mean, a perfect example, right? So you have Flow. Flow wants to be the the platform to do NFTs that are digital collectibles. There are other blockchains like Algorand and Hedera Hashgraph, which are using NFTs, but they want to use them for real estate or um, financial assets, right, to assess ownership. of. The, so it's like they're both NFT pl- blockchains, but they have different use cases in the end. And so I think that's kind of, again, they're – If you think of these blockchains like a tech startup versus, you know, um, being a cryptocurrency, it's I I think it kind of shines a lot of light on being able to step back and look at the industry as a whole and see that there are interesting use cases emerging.
1: Now, Ross, are there advisors on NFTs? And and the reason I'm asking that question is I think about our athletes and you talked Mm -hmm. about real estate, you talked about digital um, collectibles, you have those athletes that are interested in investing in real estate or they might have a collection um, of their own memorabilia or they're interested in purchasing for their hobby. Mm -hmm. Where do they go so they know which blockchain Who advises them? The pricing, all of that.
2: That's a good question. Um, You know, I it's such a new space that there really isn't a ton of emerging resources yet on that. Um, In in the the problem becomes a lot of the blockchains, right? Are obviously, again, if if you go back to my reference of them being a tech startup, is they're kind of hooting and hollering for themselves, right? Because they're trying to survive as a business, right? They're a business at the end of the day. And so they're going to tell you that their blockchain is great for this, this and that. Right. Um, And so that's the interesting thing is I don't think there's a ton of great, like truly kind of like, if you think of it, almost like a financial advisor, right. Someone who's just their job is to just um, I think what you're going to see eventually is an emergence of that, right. Is like kind of like a crypto financial advisor, if you will, someone who advises people on how to, and I'm sure there are people I'm just not aware of them personally yet, but I'm sure it's emerging um, to help advise on that and say, okay, hey, here's how you should think about this blockchain versus that blockchain based on what you're trying to do.
1: That's definitely helpful, and we understand that you know this is an emerging field and things will evolve and change. But you know, just to give a sense of, of direction, I mean, just listening to you now um, makes a lot more sense than it did before we we got on this podcast and. And the, the options are limitless. And so the individuals in the space of athlete development often are the point person at the team for the athlete to give them direction and resources. So it's, it's mm-hmm. helpful information.
2: Yeah. And I think, too, for athletes and for organizations, you're going to start to see over the next five, 10 years, a ton of new startups come to market. Um, that bring different use cases, right, of how you can leverage these NFTs to do different things. And I think that's what's going to be really exciting is you're going to kind of get to watch and then see which ones kind of take root. And it's like, okay, wow, like that's an interesting application. I've always, like, you know, you know, Stevie, you said, whether it's real estate, digital collectibles, I've always been interested in that as an athlete or an organization. And so then you can start to drift towards some of these companies that emerge as partners um, in that.
0: I was going to ask you, I mean, as you're looking at the space now, Ross, and you start thinking about athletes, and this is just before we jump into the broader conversation about where this is all going, is do you see any, any negatives or any potential pitfalls in aggressively getting into this space, either as an athlete or even potentially as an organization, at least the way the ecosystem is now? um, What's your just general take on that as, as you're kind of looking at the, at the area now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest pitfall to kind of take kind of caution to is the fact that, like I said, this is a new space that's very early in its innovation cycle. So projects will fail, right? It's just like anything, right? It's just like startups fail. Um, I'm sure... Salesforce destroyed 100 competitors along the way, you know, companies that we never even heard of today. And just like that, certain blockchains will take root and other ones will die off. And so just like the startups leveraging blockchain technology to build specific use cases or applications um, or what, what, you know, blockchain people call dApps, distributed apps, um, Some of them will fail, right? And so I think the biggest thing, you know, if if I was advising an organization or an athlete, I would say just have a little bit of patience when you wade into this space and just kind of really try to understand what's going on out there and who the different players are and what they're working on. Um, Because some of the projects will ultimately fail. And so that would be probably the biggest kind of yellow flag to consider at the moment.
0: I think that's phenomenal advice. I mean, again, it's like anything, if you're an athlete, um, or if you're working with an athlete, it's absolutely critical that you do your due diligence, right? Otherwise, you don't mm-hmm. know what you're walking into. And then particularly when you're going into, I mean, arguably, you could make the case this is the Wild West is, you know, even more caution is probably appropriate.
2: Yeah, and I mean, and we don't have to get into this, but there's obviously the regulatory side, too. There's been a lot of discussions around the SEC and, and do do. Do some of the government agencies begin to regulate some of this? Obviously, too, there are questions legally around, you know, we talked about media rights, right? Does an NFT actually, you know, is that legally binding, right? Does it mean, you know, there's some states that have said yes, some states have said no, it's, you know, so there's still a lot of questions. And again, I think ultimately, if you, we zoom way back, long term, big picture, NFTs blockchain technology fundamentally will enable us to build an amazing new world, but there's still a lot of questions along the way and speed bumps. So that's why I said just, I think diligence and just being kind of, um, Very, you know, being patient is going to be key here. And I think, you know, ultimately, if you're diligent and patient, you, 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 there's no, you know, you'll win at the end, right? Like you'll find the right solutions.
0: And I think that's a phenomenal. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Steph.
1: No, I was just wondering. You know, obviously, this is the digital world. So if you purchase, how do you go about purchasing um, real estate in NFTs? And then how do you go about selling? And at any point. Can you actually retrieve
2: cash? So that's that's also the big thing here, and 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 that's something that I think is being worked through by a number of startups, um, including our, us. You know, and and that's the biggest thing, right? Is like right now, a lot of NFTs, a lot of these DApps um, require you to pay in cryptocurrency and install a crypto wallet, right, to be able to purchase and participate. I think. For a lot of people, that's a very intimidating proposition. Um, you know, I, if I were to say, "Hey, uh, Duncan, Stephanie, if you want to bid on my NFT, you got to go install a MetaMask plugin. You need to buy Ethereum. Um, you're going <laughs> to have to convert it into. You know, it's like you'd be like, "Wait, hold on, a sec-, like, you know." And it's it's to the point where I think the the ultimately that will win out is like, where is there a future where people can purchase something as if you and I would walk into Best Buy and buy a new phone or laptop, right. And just pay with our visa or hand over cash. But in the background, the blockchain technology takes over to enable the transaction at, and also to, to ensure the ownership side of it, right on that distributed ledger.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Cause I mean, I think uh, having, Dipped a baby toe into the Bitcoin world um, and then when going through the process to understand how to do it. I remember at one point there came is that in order to tie this to your wallet, if you get one digit wrong, your money's gone. And I was like, well, that's that's a high that's a high stress, tightrope kind of a moment where if you, you know, and I was putting virtually nothing in there and I was getting the sweats. So I can I totally understand (laughs) where you're coming from on that. Uh, but you did kind of make an interesting segue, you know, like you know, where is this world going? What does the new world look like, and, and potentially quite expansive. So, from your perspective, working within Remersive, where do you see the the field going, and what are the implications for sport, even beyond just a collectible NFT?
2: Yeah, I think. That, that's what gets us excited at Remersive is just the idea that sports is evolving right now. Um, I think, you know, the pandemic obviously was, you know, um, a, a major, you know, it, it was the pandemic highlighted a lot of things for a lot of industries and sports being one of them. Um, I think what's exciting is. There's this massive shift to digital in sports right now, like in in not only just in the traditional sense of a broadcasting rights or games being streamed on Amazon Prime versus being broadcast on ESPN, but also the idea that we have all these new social media platforms, streaming platforms in which teams, but also the athletes themselves can interact directly with their fans, right? And that becomes this new digital frontier versus the the old physical frontier of either being at the game yourself or sitting on your couch at home watching a TNT or an ESPN broadcast. Um, the idea that Because you know these block NFTs, blockchains live in a digital world. Then we can layer that digital world right on top of these new digital channels that these athletes and teams are interacting with their fans, and it becomes a new way to reward fans right for engagement and to give your fans an opportunity to engage with a specific outcome um, in in that digital world that they that they can expect to receive. And so I think that presents a lot of interesting um, opportunities. Four teams to engage on that frontier, um, especially with the younger fans, right? You know, I—I I mean, I grew up with a phone in my hand. My little, my little brother is 16. He's had an iPhone since he was like eight, right? Like, his phone is nine. I watch him 90% of the time. He is on his phone even when he has the TV on. He's not looking at it. He's looking at his phone. Mm-hmm. And so it's like NFTs, blockchain technology, present this really unique opportunity to capture that attention, right? In 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 ways in which fans feel like hey i am being rewarded for this engagement or i have an opportunity to engage with my favorite team or my favorite athlete in a way i never was able to before
0: and out of curiosity do you want to give us an example like of how how does that play out in the real world so like in terms of this broader engagement with an individual athlete with an organization how do you see that playing out and shaping out over time and obviously you know we're asking you to prognosticate pull out the crystal ball but I mean how do you guys see it shaping out and and maybe there's a use case you can kind of share with our group that would be uh, uh, illustrative
2: yeah you know I was actually listening to another podcast the other day about this and I think this this is kind of like a semi-generic use case but I think it's a really interesting one right like so social media has been around for a while now, and it's gotten to a point where there's some pretty mature platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. And I think one of the interesting things about social media, right, is social media is meant to drive engagement. You want likes, you want shares, right? You want something to go viral, right? Because it attracts eyeballs. And obviously, you know, we all know that eyeballs means advertisers. Um, but for the fans, it's like, okay, well, what do I get for liking uh, a post from my favorite team or my favorite player? So with blockchain technology, you can create a ledger of the exact order in which everybody shared a post. So if you know, if all of us are all following our specific uh, player, they post some interesting piece of content that we like or share, and that piece of content goes viral, which becomes a monetization opportunity. You could be rewarded for being one of the earlier people in the order to have liked and shared it, right? Again, let's reward a fan for being super engaged versus someone else who's being more reactively engaged because those fans that are at the forefront that are really engaging with you as an athlete or as a team or a league are the ones that are driving and pushing your brand forward. So let's reward them because you know it creates a feedback loop of – well, if I'm going to get rewarded for that behavior, I'll keep doing it. Right. And that's the that's where the NFTs come in. The rewards can be NFTs. Right. So you can create something where that NFT then becomes a, a valuable item that you get, you know, or you are assigned ownership of in return for that behavior. So um, that's one really interesting use case I saw. And that also has implications with brands and sponsors. Right. Hey, you have products that can be on display, right? The first 10,000 fans that retweet this are entered for a chance to win an NFT that can be then redeemed for set product, right? So now fans are not only excited to interact with their favorite athlete, but they get a chance to maybe win a an item or a product that... Um, they want or covet and so and again it all goes back to the nft to the distributed ledger it ensures transparency it ensures who the rightful owner of something is and again it's immutable meaning no one else can you know the the ledger cannot be changed by any one specific individual so it's public and transparent so everyone knows who the actual rightful winner is or owner of something
1: And what if an athlete is really interested in this space? And you talked about the opportunities, especially from the social media platform, and they see that this is an opportunity where they can make money. How do they get started in creating an NFT? Do they link up with a VC? You know, what are the steps that they would take?
2: Yeah, um, you know, a lot of athletes right now are kind of doing it bespoke right they're finding a specific nft they want to make they they bring in an artist or someone to help design or create it um and then you usually you need someone who's a blockchain engineer right to mint it and put it on the blockchain um also right now for a lot of nfts you have to go to sell it right you have to go to one of the existing nft marketplaces something like openc um, And then just market it yourself, right? I do think over the next handful of years, we're going to see some other, some more systematized use cases come out where it's like, okay, there's a platform, you just do A, B, and C, and out out pops a campaign to do an NFT, right? Um, And there'll be some more structure put around it. But right now it is a pretty bespoke process. Um, But that's also the exciting part, right? I think as we find more use cases for NFTs, you're going to see startups popping up with platforms that really put the process on rails and make it easy for an Mm -hmm. athlete or an organization to kind of say, Hey, here's what I want to do. And then end to end, it gets executed. And what would be your
1: recommendation for athletes that want to get involved because this is something new. There are unchartered waters. Um, there's risk. there's liability. Um, would it be to wait until some of those infrastructures are in place? You know, what are some of your, just your personal recommendations?
2: Yeah. You know, I actually think, for for most of them the the best way to do, to kind of approach this is to experiment a little bit so um you know there's a league that we've been talking to and, and I'm not going to say who just you know for you know identity sake but they've been experimenting right so they've they've tried a few nfts kind of in small settings right where you know there's not a ton at stake if you will and i think the biggest thing too is for athletes, testing, what is it that your audience or for a team, what is it that your fans want? Like, what do they want to, how do they want to engage with you? What's exciting to them? Is it a NFT that is tied to a product to that from a sponsor that you work with that they have a chance to win? Is it um, the opportunity to redeem an NFT for some sort of unique experience? Maybe you get a meet and greet or an autograph session or something like that, right? Is Just experiment right now. And again, because these things are so bespoke, right? You could do one or two at a time. And just, I think that's the biggest thing for athletes is in teams, is just. I would say experiment right now and try and figure out the use cases that really emerge and i think what will happen is over the next few years you'll start to see some of the platforms emerge that say hey we're experts at doing this right so if you want to you know partner or you know sign up with work with us we'll help you execute that at scale once you've kind of figured out the workflow of the use case that makes sense
0: i think one of the interesting things too which i found fascinating about this is is that when you talk about the um, the revenue opportunities is that if mm-hmm. athletes go through this process the right way, is that this can be a long-term revenue generator in terms of how it's structured, right? If, if uh, every time that particular NFT uh, changes hands, there's going to be dollars that flow back to the athlete. And maybe I could get you to talk a little bit about that. Uh, in terms of the implications for how athletes can sort of continue to take advantage and drive revenue based on the platform and who they are and how they play.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's really what the exciting part is. And I think it works for the athletes and it works for the organizations as well as like, it gives you that opportunity beyond the game to engage with your fan base, right? Sports used to kind of be tied to, the game. Right. And then obviously there were some opportunities. You might have a big brand that wants to sponsor you, you know um, in the NBA, right. A lot of guys get a signature or even in the WNBA too, they get a signature seeker um, or something like that. But this is an opportunity to say, Hey, I have a fan base, right? This fan base has kind of been drawn to me given who I am as an athlete and as an individual. So I can now create kind of unique opportunities to engage with them and give them the chance to, um, engage back with me. And then that becomes a revenue opportunity. Think of it like the influencer economy, right? Influencers, their whole business model is driven off the fact that they have a community of people around them that are engaged about a specific thing, right? And that thing becomes monetizable. And so I think for an athlete, you could see a lot of similar use cases emerging where it's like, hey, I'm really into classic cars or I like stock trading. And it's like, hey, if you kind of share that with your community that becomes an interesting opportunity for you to build a kind of that long-term similar to an influencer kind of brand that can become monetizable
0: and I, and I think that's that's really fascinating is like you said like athletes that are at the the pinnacle of the game even those athletes who are regionalized like an NCAA athlete they're going to have influence and they're going to have followers and if th- if this represents a way where they can again, extend that brand and extend that impact and provide revenue generating opportunities to themselves. I think that's really interesting to explore. Uh, And I think the impact of it, like you said, it extends their brand into areas that may allow them to identify or not identify, but to pursue opportunities that maybe even extend beyond the game. So pretty fascinating.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, a great example is, formula one um so lando norris is one of the up-and-coming drivers in formula one he drives for mclaren um young very personable individual and during he started this during the pandemic when the you know when the sports was was on hold is he started stream twitch streaming. He would load he played the Formula One video game and he had the setup in his house with the wheel and the steering wheel and he would go live on Twitch and stream himself racing, right? And it draw it drew in racing fans who were looking for something as a substitute when Formula One races weren't happening. But what also started to happen was video game fans came in part of the picture right because he's already this highly public figure it's like oh i want to watch a you know professional athlete just play a video game in their home because we all play video games in our home right it's it's you get that kind of connection to your own personal life right and he's had over 18 million views on his Twitch channel right but what's happened is it's bridged a audience that had typically not watched Formula One into the world of Formula One, right? Formula One is typically paywalled behind network TV. Twitch is free and accessible to anyone in the world, anywhere to watch. And so it it introduced a new audience to both Lando Norris's community, but also to the Formula One community. So I think that's also the really interesting thing to look out for here over the next decade is if athletes are able to go out and kind of use blockchain, use NFTs to kind of build their brand outside of sports it bridges a non-sports audience into the sports world and it creates a new opportunity to engage new fans for the athletes and for these leagues and teams and i think that could be an incredibly powerful driver over the next decade
0: that that is really interesting when you think about the power that places in the hands of the individual athlete and the potential benefit if it's uh pursued correctly for those different leagues and organizations that have these athletes under their umbrella supporting them as they begin to explore those things is, is absolutely massive and, and then you think about the implications for athlete development specialists in order to be able to help them or athletes do that it's absolutely critical in a way that obviously doesn't remove their focus from their professional sport obligations which mm-hmm. I mean, the athlete themselves is probably not going to be that uh, eager to do that but I mean it explaining the opportunity that exists and how that can create those opportunities that extend beyond the game and then the value to the sport is is potentially massive which is again a really well articulated example with with formula 1 yeah
2: and i think i think the the, the prime example we can look to is esports right esports mm-hmm while there are organizations just like you know there's there's 100 thieves there's FaZe Clan um, just like there's the New England Patriots or the Los Angeles Lakers the individuals who are on the teams right are they're the brand in and of themselves right um, someone like Ninja right i mean Ninja's obviously kind of the prime example in the esports world he's one of the most popular esports creators in the world but If you look at other um, organizations, uh, like, again, a perfect example is 100 Thieves, right? 100 Thieves was the organization's brand was built on the back of people like Matthew Nadeshot Haig, who's their founder and creator, and then other individuals who are creators within that organization, right? And actually, their personal social media following is bigger than the organization's social media following, but the organization is supporting them right because ultimately it all rising tides rise all ships right it's bringing everybody up and you know i think there's a really unique opportunity with blockchain technology and with nfts for professional sports to kind of undertake some of that model right and figure out a way where it's a collaborative push where the teams and the athletes are working together to bring in new fans and to build kind of the profile of the organization overall well, I, th- I think what you just said is so key, especially from a league
1: or team perspective, it's reaching another audience. And your Formula One mm-hmm. example was, it was perfect because he not only reached the audience of Formula One, but the gamers. So NFTs, mm-hmm. those individuals might not necessarily be the, the fanatics of sport, um, but they're interested in this tech world. And now you're bringing in these individuals and um, they might might start watching or supporting or, you know, one way or another um, opportunity to monetize and increase revenue.
2: Yeah, and I mean, in in esports did it in the other direction, right? Esports rose as just all these gamers and people realize, hey, they want people like watching them live on Twitch or doing competitions, but then they've started branching into doing collaborations with professional athletes or apparel lines and stuff like that, right? And so you're now bringing in different audiences that are now coming into the the video game world, right? And so I think it can happen in the professional sports world in kind of a similar um use case
0: and it's probably now is a great time to just have you quickly walk through so what is Remersive doing in this space uh, in order to to have that impact and and to and to pursue this very new new world
2: yeah so what we've been working on is kind of a a platform but it's also you know we're we're tying it into the blockchain we're enabling nft creation Um, to help athletes and organizations who want to leverage media and content to build their own brand and bridge outside of sport, right? And so to to give an opportunity to find ways to engage your fans on other topics that they might be interested in, in, right? But then allowing NFTs and blockchain, the ability to kind of allow your fans to engage, potentially have a sense of ownership or to be rewarded in some way. Um, And what we're really trying to do is, Build a platform that makes the creation of the NFTs, any sort of content that's related to it and any sort of branding that's necessary. Really, like I said early in the conversation, putting it on rails, right? Because obviously these are professional athletes. These are professional sports organizations. They have a lot going on. They're traveling. They're practicing. They're getting ready for games. So they need to have kind of an easy way to be able to do that um, at scale. And our hope is to be able to support that and not only provide the technology, but also provide the the links that is needed for an athlete or an organization to come together with maybe a brand or a sponsor and then maybe a media outlet or a syndication partner to say, hey, let's collaborate on this project because we think we can reach a larger audience than just say the soccer audience or the baseball audience. We can kind of build those bridges that Stephanie was, you know, we we're just talking about to a new audience that is interested in whatever the you know the other topic is or subject.
0: I think that's a you know that's great. I appreciate you giving us the rundown there. And I think you know as we move towards a conclusion here of our conversation today, I think one of the things that you had said that really stood out to me is this idea of patience and you know due diligence as you begin. You know, if you know for an athlete development specialist, that's talking to an athlete you know, I think those are two key takeaways. And I think there's an illustrative story that, you know, I'm going to ask you to try and walk through is just maybe quickly walk through what the the NFT market did just to illustrate the importance of that, of that caution uh, and that due diligence in terms of what happened immediately after Dapper Labs, if you don't mind, or sorry, NBA Top Topshop coming out.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there was, a, it went, you know, any sort of market goes through cycles. Right. And, and, and what happened with NBA top Shop, right. Was there was this big hype cycle and it's kind of come back down to earth a little bit. I think over time, ultimately it will swing back up. Like I said, markets go through cycles. And that's why, again, I just encourage patience and just to kind of watch. And, you know, I think we're so like, I was talking to someone else the other day in the kind of the blockchain world and, um, he said it perfectly. He was like, look, this thing, this whole industry is in the first inning and it's probably the first batter of the game. And the first pitch just got thrown. So like, what's the rush? We still have a lot of game to play here. Like take your time. Let's see what happens. Um, And, and because ultimately, right. Like NBA top shot Dapper labs, that was great. There's going to be other things like that that come out and there's going to be similar hype cycles and then crashes. Right. And then we're going to see like, okay, over time, which platforms, which technology, which tools actually continue to go on and grow steadily. Um, and so I think, you know, there's going to be so much opportunity here, right. That there's being a little patient it actually might not be a terrible thing. Right. And, to, you know, people always say first mover advantage. Well, usually first mover advantage doesn't like Facebook wasn't the first social media platform, but they just crossed a trillion dollars in market cap, right? They're clearly winning. And so um, I think eventually, right, the the long-term sustainable solutions will emerge. So, you know, people who take a little bit of patience, I think it'll benefit them in the long run. Uh,
0: For me, I think that's really one of the key messages here because I think, you know, a lot of athletes may have this feeling, man, if I don't act now, I'm going to miss the boat. And I think that's really why I want you to reiterate that message to our folks. So that can be communicated down the chain that, look, you're you're not missing the boat. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, a a very um, deliberate and intentional approach to engaging in this environment is going to be the smarter way to have the longest uh, term success with it. So, again, I appreciate reiterating that. Uh, Stephanie, any other last questions from you?
1: Not a question, but uh, just a statement. Thank you. This was definitely enlightening. I was a little um, apprehensive or or nervous because I felt like I knew nothing. And this was definitely very enlightening and educational. So thank you for breaking it down. It was, you know, NFT for dummies. And I'll say I was the dummy here, (laughs) but
2: uh, very helpful. So thank you. Oh, it was my pleasure. It was uh, it was fun, and again, it's just it's a it's a fascinating new kind of world we're all learning about at the same time. So, um, it, you know, it's it's exciting, and I'm sure there'll be something new tomorrow, right, that we could talk about and touch on. That's how how fast this world is moving. So it's exciting.
0: Absolutely. So with that, uh, again, many thanks, Ross, for for making the time to connect with us and giving us the rundown on NFTs and the implications of them for sport. So with that, we'll wrap. Again, Ross Andrews from Remersive Studios, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. And more importantly, we greatly appreciate your support of PADS. We'd also like to acknowledge the support of our global partners for their ongoing support of all of our initiatives, including the Athlete Development Podcast Series. Again, be sure to be on the lookout for information regarding live Q&A sessions. And we urge you to continue to dive deep into all of the different podcasts that we're bringing to you over the coming weeks. Again, thanks for your interest and for your support of Pads.